We are continuing in our study of Romans, and uh, last week we started with part one in, in this chapter about something has happened to me. There is some, something in Christ as we became believers in Christ that happened to us. There was a transformation, and this morning we'll go into part two of that. And I want to begin by telling you about my friend Jan. Uh, she is now with the Lord, but when um, a few years ago when Jan and I met, she was in her late 80s, and she was approaching, um, you know, that stage of life that has a lot of challenges with it in terms of physical challenges, and she found that her energy level was starting to decrease on a on a daily basis, and she was uh, unable to do the things that she used to do, and and was able to unable to accomplish some of the things that she used to accomplish, and she found herself sort of during the day nodding in and out of a nap and, and you know, falling asleep here and there. And uh, she came to me, and she, in tears in my office, said, Pastor, I feel like I'm enslaved to my body. I feel like my body has got me captured, and I don't like it. I can't do what I want to do. I'm not equipped as I used to be, to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. And then she informed me, but there's this new procedure that Vanderbilt is doing where they will replace my heart valve, which is causing my lack of energy. And so she went to Vanderbilt. She had the operation successfully, same operation that Ken has just had, where they go in through the leg and they go up and they push the old heart valve out and sew the new heart valve in with a very non-evasive way of doing that. And I remember when Ann came home, uh, Jan came home that week um, after her operation, she came to the church for this specific purpose to sit down with me and tell me, I'm a new person. I have never felt so free. I feel like the old me. I feel like the new me. I feel like I can do anything now for God. My energy is back. I can breathe. I can sleep through the night. I can't believe the joy that is filling my heart on the prospect of being able to do what God wants me to do in the latter days of my life. I am set free. And as the conversation went a little bit further, I asked her about some of the new lifestyle that she would have and some of the restrictions that she might have in her dietary um, situation. And she told me, you know, whatever restrictions there are, I'm free. Whatever limitations I have in my diet, they compare nothing to what has happened to me in this new life that God has given me. And you see, that's what Paul in the sixth chapter of Romans is teaching us through the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there is something new that has happened to us who have faith in Christ. That there is a transformation that has happened within us, spiritually speaking, to our hearts. That we have new hearts that beat with a new life and a new freshness and a new energy and a new joy because of what Christ has done for us. And that because of what He's done for us, we now engage with Him in a whole different way than we ever engaged with God before. That we engage with Him as enslaved to those things which are righteous about Him that He makes righteous about us. 
And we are enslaved by love. We are captured by the love of Christ as we are captured to love Christ. Paul here will explain the difference between what does it mean to be in slavery to sin versus enslaved to the love of God. And we'll go into that in just a minute. But I want you to think back with me to the Garden of Eden and think back what happened there. And you remember as God created Adam and Eve, He did what? He gave them dominion over all of creation, that they were to rule, that they were the free kings and queen over all of God's creation. And in their falling, they then subjected that dominion that they had and transferred it over to the dominion of sin. And they became enslaved into sin. And from that point on, man's only option was to sin and be enslaved to that sin. There was no other option. And that is true for every single human being ever born again out of the loins of Adam and Eve, that we are born sinners. We are born in sin. As David would say in the 51st Psalm, we are actually conceived in sin. And so we are spiritually stillborn at our fleshly birth. There is no life of God within us. But thanks be to God, the Gospel tells us that God intervened on our behalf and brought us to life and took us from the enslavement of this sinful life in our own flesh and transformed us into people who have eternal life enslaved to the love of God. One is enslaved to a a taskmaster who would who would bring us death, and the other is an enslavement to the love of God that brings us eternal life. First thing we look at this morning is you're going to have to serve somebody. Some of you will remember the old Bob Dylan song a few years back, maybe twenty years back. Some of you won't remember that. So let me tell you a little bit about it. The lyrics go like this, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're an Indian chief or whether you're a a housewife, you're going to have to serve somebody. Whether you're an insurance agent, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a a, a trash man, you're going to have to serve somebody. And you get the point of the song. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your station in life is. Eventually you come to the realization you're going to have to serve somebody. I spent the first 20 years of my life as an independent insurance broker. One of the reasons I chose that field was because I didn't like to have to work under the auspices of a boss. I didn't like anybody telling me when I had to come back from lunch. I certainly didn't want somebody to tell me when my holidays were or when they weren't going to be. There was an independent streak in me that went deep and it went all the way back to birth. That I struggled with the idea of authority over me. But when I really thought about it, I served my client base. I realized I spent a lot of my time running around trying to make my clients happy. I had to serve them. I had contracts and obligations with different companies. I had to serve those contracts in the way that appealed to those people who gave me the contracts. And in the like manner, every single human being on this earth serves, even if it's service to yourself. If you are your own king or if you are your own queen, you are enslaved to make yourself happy. You are enslavement to make your life work. 
And in doing so, we transfer that slavery into a lot of different ancillary or satellite types of enslavement, whether that would be to alcohol or to pornography or to money or to power or to beauty or to, you, you get the picture, you can name the list. It goes on and on in those places when we are, are enslaved to our own self. We go deeper and deeper into sla- enslavement into these outside areas of life. And Paul has just got through telling the, the Roman Christians the key to coming out of that enslavement is to understand the grace that has been given to you by the one who has the keys to life and death and the one who can let you out of the prison of slavery and into the bondage of love that he has for you. And that comes only by faith in the grace that he bestows upon you by opening up the cell. By turning the lock on the prison door and saying, come to me, come out. Much like the day he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And he told the people there, take the burial clothes off the man and set him free. You see, Paul says this in verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And you'll remember that from the first verse of the chapter. He asks the question a little bit differently. He says, what are we to say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's just got through saying in the fifth chapter that we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And he comes with this rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Are we under or to continue in grace that or to sin that grace may abound? Of course, last week we said that Paul said, no, that's crazy. All that is is a sign that you don't really know the gospel. You don't know the transformation that has happened to you. You don't realize what Jesus has done, not just to you, but within you by placing you in himself. And now he asks the question a little bit differently because he's just got through saying that, we are, we are transformed to obey the law so that we might have the righteousness revealed within us that is the righteousness of Christ before the throne of God. But then he stopped in that 14th verse. He said, but sin will no longer have dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace again. Then he says, what then shall we say? Are we to sin because we're not under law? It's just another way of asking the same question again. You mean if Christ has covered everything, if Christ has completely wiped my slate clean, if I am justified before God solely upon the merits of what Jesus has done, then I'm free to go do whatever I want. And Paul once again says, no way, by no means. I wish that I were bold enough to tell you in the Greek what this strength of these words They're not nice, polite words that Paul is using there. It's an emphatical no. The emphasis is on you don't get it. But he uses this incredible logic. Verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one who you obey? You see, you're going to have to serve somebody. 
And Paul says that if you present yourself to sin, you're going to serve sin. And you're just going to continue to do that. And it will go deeper and deeper. And the satellites, the arms of sin, will go further and further out. And you will be entrenched in more webs of deceit and, and death than you've ever imagined could be on the earth. And those tentacles will rob you of every bit of joy that you have in life. In many ways, you will become, you will experience the life of the addict. Addict. You will never be able to get enough of the drug that enslaves you to your flesh. Paul says this, that means you don't get it. You're slaves to the one you obey. And what does that do? Which leads to death. Or you are slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. We just sang a bunch of songs about how you're free. Remember the words of Jesus that you are set free. And who the Son is set free is free indeed. That's John chapter 8. But later on, that same conversation that he's having with the Pharisees there, he also tells them that you are, you are slaves to sin. Anyone who sin is a slave to sin. And, of course, the wages of sin is death. And therefore, if, slave, if, if sin has enslaved you, then you have no other destiny but death. And what Jesus has done is he's come to you and I, And He's redeemed us out of that dominion from sin and placed us under the dominion of His love and His grace so that His obedience to Him then leads to righteousness. And it's just not a righteousness that we concoct in our own heads, by our own lives, by our own moralistic way of living. But it's a righteousness that completely transforms us and to those who begin to walk and talk and look like the Son of God. If you place your finger there and maybe flip over if you want, you can read it later, but into Galatians chapter 5, and we see the fruit of the Spirit there. And he talks about how we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I'm at verse 25. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to envy. Paul is saying there, if you want to manifest the fruit of righteousness, you must let the Spirit bear the fruit in your life. And of course, there in the fifth chapter, he says the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering that these are the things that righteousness looks like. A fidelity to God, a commitment to God, a love for God that manifests within us the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says for the Christian, for the believer to live any way different is insane. It's insane for us to be unloving. It's insane for us to not have joy. It's insane for us not to be kind. It's insane for us to be self-centered. It's insane for us to think that God, the second person of the Godhead, would sin, would, Jesus would come, sent by the Father, to shed His blood over us. 
free us from death by His own death. To take the scourge of our enslavement off of our back by allowing His back to be scourged. By taking our forsakenness upon Himself and being forsaken that we might always be accepted under the cover of His blood and His righteousness. It's insane to think that we could receive that and then just walk away into our own lives. It's insane for us to understand that the Gospel is this, that God has betrothed you to the Son, His Son, that you are in marital relationships with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. How insane would it be for the groom or the bride to simply walk away from one another? You can read it in Hosea. You can read it all through the Old Testament where God, the great rescuer, comes for His bride, brings her out of the bondage of slavery from other countries, from Babylon, from Assyria, course from Egypt and he sends his redeeming person and finally the redeemer of Christ to bring you and I out of the bondage of this flesh out of the bondage of sin to betroth himself to us not just to send us out to be on our own again to figure out our own way because we will go right back into the flesh we will go right back into idolatry you know that we would you know that we will But He incarnates us with His own Holy Spirit to convict us, to remind us, to completely, continually put in our ear, you belong to Him, you belong to Him, you belong to Him. Don't be insane. You no longer belong to death, but you belong to life. rather than serve death, which is insane, isn't it? And that's the insanity of sin, Paul says. How could a believer ever do that? How could someone who's committed to their, their life to Christ, who has committed his life to you, ignore that commitment and live a life characterized only by selfishness. We all fall. We all will struggle with sin for the rest of our days here on this earth. We talked about that last week. We are truly free from the power of sin. We truly are. We're, we're free from the punishment of sin. We truly are. Christ has paid that punishment on our behalf. And we're certainly true from the perjury of sin that would tell us that that's not true. But we are not free from the presence of sin within our own flesh. Not one human being will ever be totally free from struggling with the sinful nature that still is remnant within us in our flesh. If you ever meet that person, you will realize that person is eternal and their flesh will never die. Because the consequences of sin is death and that is why our flesh dies. But praise be to God, we are more than flesh. Praise be to God because of the work of Christ 
We have been renewed and reborn. We are living again, born anew by the Spirit of God to be a people that belong to God. And because of that engagement, because of that ceremonial marriage that we are yet to come at the day of His return, we realize we are inextricably bound to Christ. And because of that, and I love Tom's words about God asks us to do certain things. I want to put it just a little bit differently. God commands us to be different. Why does He command it? He commands it because He loves you. He commands it so that you might have life. He commands it so that you might be with Him forever. He commands it so you're not a hypocrite. What He commands is something much deeper than personal piety. What He commands is a renewed heart that belongs to Him, that manifests the personality traits, the attributes of who Christ Jesus is. And the things that are important to Jesus now become important to you. The places where Jesus calls us to love the unlovable is where we're excited to go. The places where Jesus tells us to quickly forgive are the places where He calls us to go. The places that teach us something much more profound than just fleshly happiness, but to dive deep into the depths of God's joy, where to quickly go. Paul says, the cure for insanity to sin is this, to present yourself as instruments of righteousness. There's a determination within us because we have been freed from sin and the the power of sin over our lives. We've been incarnated with the Spirit's determination to present ourselves to God according to the Scriptures, to stand before the throne of God like Isaiah did in the 6th chapter and say, Lord, Here am I. Send me. I wonder if that's the heart of believers today in the American church. Lord, here am I. Lord, here am I. Lord, I don't want to be insane anymore and live for myself. Lord, I want to live for You. Here am I. I don't know what that means, God. I don't know where You're going to send me. I don't know what You want me to do. But You do. You know where You're sending me. You, You know what You want me to do. I only know that in this moment and at this time, Lord, You want me to love. I know in this moment, Lord, You want me to forgive. I know in this moment, Lord, You want me to have joy. I know in this moment, Lord, You want me to be patient. You want me to be still and know that You are God. Lord, I know... I know you have a plan. I know you're working it out day by day. I know that you want me to rest in that. 
but Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Let me be of use to you. I present myself to you, Lord, no longer as one who presents him or herself to this sinful life that entraps me and and puts its bounds around me and strangles me with death. I present myself now to you as Christ presented himself after the crucifixion in his righteousness. And I say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Let me build your kingdom. Let me be consumed by you, God. Let me be so indulged in your love, as you said in John, to be lavished. That I would never doubt that I'm your son. I would never doubt that I'm your daughter. I would never doubt that I belong to you. That I'm enslaved, oh God, to your love for me. And you see, that's the true difference between one who walks in the flesh and one who walks in the spirit. There's a clear understanding that enslavement to the flesh is one that's compelled by an owner that will beat you and whip you. And will lead you only to fatigue and frustration and tiredness. That there's a taskmaster that's over you. That you must serve in a way to hope that there's some pleasure that that taskmaster would ever find in you. But it won't come. Versus being compelled to love. Because you realize how much you've been loved. And because of that realization, you are enslaved. You are compelled to stay connected. And trusting that that love will never fail you. It's the interesting thing that begins to happen when we come out of our insanity and we live these gospel sane lives. If you look at verse it looks like verse twenty. For when you were slaves to sin you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting from that? Those things from which you're now ashamed. You see what Paul's saying, do you see how insane it was to live like you lived? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, compelled by His love for you. The fruit that gets that leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's Paul saying? That yes, there is a struggle in our life to be believers. There's a struggle in our life to manifest this righteousness that Christ has already sealed us in. But it's within that struggle that we have the complete confidence and truth and promise and realization that as we labor in this world for the sake of God's righteousness, we become co-owners of that which we are building. That this kingdom that we are compelled by love while we're in the flesh to continue to build in the same way that Adam was told and commissioned by God, take the earth, subdue it. We too, by Christ and Matthew, have been told, 
Take the earth and subdue it for my name. Be busy about building the kingdom. Be consumed about my kingdom. Because eternal life comes. And Paul will later say in Philippians, the joy of that eternal life is this, that you and I are joint heirs with Christ. I don't know if you know what that means. And I know that we forget it sometimes. And it's a good reminder for us this morning to realize what that means is this. That in the benevolence and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, that everything that belongs to Him, everything that belongs to Him, including all of the joy, all of the love, all that is seen and all that is unseen that belongs to Christ Jesus, He in His mercy and His grace shares with His beloved. He takes it all and shares it with His Queen. The members of His church. Those who have said, Lord, I am compelled by Your love for me to enslave myself to honoring You and Your righteousness within me. You see, when you and I understand that, we begin to understand this gospel that is ours. And questions like, well, does that mean I can go on and live for myself? Now seem silly. Does that mean that I should just be consumed about my own pleasure? It now seems insane. Should I just be locked up behind my doors, shut off my heart and wall it off from the rest of the world? Seems a little silly now, doesn't it? And the sanity of standing before the throne of God and saying, Lord, You have purchased me out of corruption. You have made me alive. You have transformed my heart. You have placed me in a new place. Oh God, here am I. Send me. Oh God, what do you want me to do? I don't want to do it because I have to do it. I want to do it because I love you. Lord, my whole motivation pattern has changed. I know I don't have to buy you off anymore. I don't have to buy off your anger. I know that I know that you spent all your anger for me on the cross. Lord, I don't have to be worried about the judgment day anymore because I know at that judgment day, like Paul, I'm going to receive the crown of righteousness that is laid in store for me in the same way that it was laid in store for the Apostle Paul. And as Paul said, for all those who long for the coming of Christ, I get that, God. No, Lord, I'm not here for that. I'm not here for selfish reasons. I'm here before your throne because I love you. And I'm compelled by love to come before you and say, Lord, I present myself for your righteousness. Now do with me what you will. That will change your life. It will change your whole view of the, of the Christendom and the kingdom. You'll have an opportunity when you walk over into Buchanan Hall to begin to ask the question, God, what do you want? 
You'll have the opportunity when you go home today and you're in your alone time. God, what do you want? Because I love you. Maybe that's the question that we begin to ask ourselves to close out this message this morning is, Jack Miller asked this question a long time ago. It's a question worth repeating. When is the last time you did something just because you loved God? When's the last time you did something for the Lord just because you love the Lord? You see, that's the cure. That's the cure to living a life of death. The cure to living a life of death that leads to the pathway to death is to present yourself to God and say, God, I love you. What's next? And then begin to understand and see where God manifests the fruit of His Spirit in your life. How do we apply this? Who are we to be? Well, we need to be one who claims gospel sanity. I would ask you to do that if you've, if you've spent the last 25, 30 years of your life claiming to be a believer, that you would be before the throne of God and say, Lord, I have, I have with my mouth, I have spoken with my mouth that I believe. I have spoken with my lips that you are the Lord. But now, God, I want to go to a level that says you're the Lord of my life because I love you. Lord, I want to get out of gospel insanity and come to gospel sanity. I want to claim what is mine and yours. I want to claim that love you have for me. And I want to be compelled by that love to love you. It's the most important encounter that you will have on this day or any other day is to go before the throne of God and say, God, I've I've gotten it all backwards. I thought I had to make you happy. I thought I had to make you pleased so that you might make me happy and that you would be a great genie in the sky and you would protect me and you would make everything work out for me. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I now present myself unknowing what Jesus has done for me, that he's made me the righteousness of God, that I can stand before you now with a new heart, a heart that's not afraid, but a heart that is bold and courageous that says, Lord, here am I. Send me. God, I want to do what you want me to do. Then offer yourself up to God again and again and again and again. Do it daily. Do it hourly. Don't ever stop looking for what God might do through you. Every hour maybe just say, Lord, what's fresh? What's new? What do you need me to do within this hour? I've made it a habit over the last several years. Sometimes I fail at it. I don't, I don't mean to say in any way that I've reached any kind of perfection in this. But I tell you, I truthfully do. I pray shortly before I come and encounter someone that my, my encounter with them might reflect Christ. Sometimes I do that with you. Sometimes I know some of you have a meeting with me. And you need to know right before you come through the door, I'm praying. Lord, let me show your joy. Even when I know somebody's mad at me. And even when I'm mad at you. Lord, put that aside. How can I best serve you in this conversation? Continually asking God, God, again and again and again, I'm offering myself to you within this situation, within this relationship. Lord, I'm offering myself to you within this church. Lord, I'm offering myself to you in wherever you might send me. 
Yes, Lord, if you want to take me out of Jacksonville, Florida in the middle of winter and put me up in seven feet of snow? Yes. Yes, Lord. Amen. But we should all clap for one another that says, yes, Lord, if you want to send me to Florida. If you want to send me to Alaska. If you want to send me to California. If you want to send me to Ecuador. If you want to send me to Budapest. Wherever it is, God, my hands are up and open and my mind is free. Lord, send me. Here I am. It may be just next door. But Lord, I'm here. Send me. Offer yourself again and again. And lastly this morning, cultivate, landscape your life with the Spirit's fruit. I tell you sometimes, some mornings I wake up, I'm just not naturally joyful. And, it, and I'm finding the more that my body is entering a new stage, the less joyful I'm becoming in the morning. But there has to be a conscious decision on my part to come to God and say, Lord, help me to find joy outside of my body. Help me to find joy outside of my circumstances. Help me to find joy outside of my career. Help me to find joy outside of my money or lack thereof. God, help me. Help me, God, to find joy in you so that I might manifest joy in my life, in the landscape of my life. That I might manifest peace, Lord. How great it would be to be known as a peacemaker and not a conflict maker. How great would it be to be known as someone who is loving with no agenda than it would be a manipulator. How great would it be known to be one who has patience, who has faith and trust in God and whatever God may be doing versus someone who's always anxious and trying to make their own way. Lord, let me landscape my lawn this morning with the fruit of your Spirit that the passers-by and those who walk up the sidewalk might see the fruit of your righteousness being born out in me. Very few people are interested in how well you manage yourself. But I don't know of a human being in the world that is not interested in your heart and what God has done to your heart. Christians, this is what we're called to do. This is who we are called to be. I will take it a step further. This is who the Lord has commanded us to be. Because he's placed within us a new heart. Landscape your life with his heart. My friend that we affectionately call Bird, he's in the last few days of his life dying with cancer. And we've connected after 35 years. We've reconnected. And we have spent the last six months, hours on the phone just talking. You know what his his number one concern is with his last days? It's how God might use him in the days that he has left. Especially in his own household. He wants to know how God might use him.
for the last month or so, two months, whatever his days are. That's his main concern. Every one of us in this room are terminal. Every one of us in this room have the high possibility that that day of judgment for us, that day of going home, might be today. In the hours, the days, the moments, the months, the years that we have left, how precious it is to be compelled by the love of God, to be enslaved to His love, that we might love Him and say, Lord, you're mine. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for willfully at times being ignorant to that which You have done in us. To be so consumed with our self with our anger or our bitterness or our frustrations that we forget to present ourselves to you as these new born again creatures who have been indwelt and empowered by your Holy Spirit and welcomed by the righteousness of your son Jesus to come into your throne room for the presentation of saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm enslaved to you by love. Now do what you will, O God. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget the eternal cost, the magnificent weighty cost of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, I pray for those in the room today who may not know that love, who may be so encased in their self that they dare to even say they do not believe. I ask, O oh God, that you would transform their heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that they would no longer present themselves to themselves, but they would find the courageous compelling to present themselves to you the holy and just and most merciful God. Amen. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing.